It is good to see you. Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to begin today. Uh, it is a privilege to, to be able to speak, uh, not just to speak, but for Pastor Andrew for the past two years to be going over the gospel of Luke, to get to the last section, and then to let me preach it. Uh, so I'm very thankful. Uh, any chance I really get up in front of, of, of everybody, I just, I just like to tell you uh, what a great opportunity it is to be able to serve at New Hope. Uh, we have the greatest guys that I get to, I get to serve with. Um, there's no better group of guys that I get to, to learn from. Uh, it is a complete privilege and honor to, to be here. Um, I love America. I'm a big fan of, you know, like I, I love baseball. I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. Like that, you can't get much more American than that. Like my brother's in the army. I, America, I love it. But I, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't like the Olympics. I'm not a fan. I don't get it. And, and if you were to approach me when I was in eighth grade and say, Dan, what do you want to do when you, get up, when you grow up and you're older? And I would have told you I am not, I don't want to be, I'm going to be an Olympic snowboarder. I knew it. And, and I was in eighth grade and I was telling all my friends, I am a great snowboarder. Like I, I watched the videos of those Olympics going down the, the half pipe and doing, doing tricks and everything. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And I kind of beefed myself up that I knew how to snowboard. And uh, one day, one of my friends comes up to me, and he says, hey, Dan, what are you doing on Friday? I said, probably nothing, because I'm in eighth grade. And he said, well, why don't you come snowboarding with us? I hate that, okay, because he didn't ask, hey, do you want to come snowboarding with us on Friday? First, he asked me, what are you doing? So then he found out I had nothing to do, and then invited me. So I was locked in. I had to. And so just before Friday, I am watching videos, how to put a snowboard on. I don't even know how to get it on my feet. I'm looking, how do I go down a hill? How do I do all this stuff? I have no clue what I'm doing. And so Friday comes, and I am on my way up to go snowboarding. And I get to the top of the mountain, and I have my snowboard on, and I'm going down this mountain, and I've probably, within the first two minutes, have fallen at least five or six times. And I think my friends at that point are, are finally picking up I don't think Dan knows how to snowboard. And so in all of eighth grade wisdom, I told them, well, I usually go to the park where I can do tricks. I don't, <laughs> I don't go down the hill like you guys. I, do, I jump off the hill. And so they said, great, there's a park right here. And so everything that could go wrong is going wrong for me. And so we start to go down the park, and I'm, I'm going towards the jumps, and every time there's, I see the jump, I just kind of bail out until I decide, you know what, these guys are going to catch on, and so I go off of a jump. Not do I only go off the jump, I decide I'm going to 360 this jump, show my Olympic eighth grade body what this could do. I'm going to show them. And I get about halfway around until I turn upside down, face plant into the snow, explode my collarbone. And all my friends standing to the side recording it don't go to me. They go to where my head hit the ground with a big dent in the snow. And that ended right there, my snowboarding career. Because about two years later, I tried to do it again, and I broke my collarbone again. So I'm two for two. I've never even gotten down a mountain on a snowboard. And ever since then, I've kind of just had this anger towards the Olympics. I kind of blame. <laughs> and I came across this story. Very recently, I, I want to read it to you. It says this. 
on the track for the gold in the 50-meter three-position rifle final. Emmons was up for his final shot. He was so far ahead of the other com competitors that all he had to do was place his bullet anywhere on the inner ring of the target to seal his gold medal. He prepared himself, paused his breathing, and took aim. He pulled the trigger. The bullet passed right through the bullseye. However, he was puzzled when the tone indicating a hit didn't sound. Matthew then realized that the bullseye he had hit was on the wrong target. He dropped from first place to eighth. A pastor out of California says, Our greatest fear in life should not be of failure, but of succeeding in things in life that don't matter. And so as we come to this passage, the Great Commission, my, my fear is that as we head into the new year, that, that all the goals we have, that all the New Year's resolutions you and I write, that all the financial goals, all the, the family goals, maybe the goals we have in our jobs, and in our, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, that all the while we're trying to reach those goals, maybe we're shooting at a target that we shouldn't even be shooting at. That you and I can actually succeed in doing everything in our life and be shooting at the wrong bullseye. I want to read this passage in Luke chapter 24, and the, the kind of the framework, how we're going to go through it is I have four points, uh, and I'm going to go very quickly. They're going to be gone so quick, but I have some stuff in between that's going to take a while, and that's okay. Uh, Luke 24, verse number 46, and we'll read all the way down to the end of the book. And he said, un and said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with the power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them, and it came to pass. While he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Your first point on that outline is Christ gives us a new identity. You see in verse 48, he says, and ye are witnesses of these things. So right here, Christ gives you your identity. He tells you this is your job. This is your job description to be a witness of these things that you've just experienced. This, in these past entire 30 years, the past I mean, three years is really what we've been studying recently, of Jesus' ministry. They, that you are witnesses. And it, and it kind of baffles me that so many people, we're, we're, we're looking for identity in so many places. We try to find our, our, our identity in parenthood. We try to find our identity in our job. We try to find identity in, in gender. I mean, it goes everywhere. And it's, it's such a pleasing thing to know that when you read Scripture, you are given identity. You are given a job. You are, you are a son. You are a daughter. You're an heir with Christ. You're a soldier. You're a, a planter. You're someone who comes along in waters. And here we see Jesus says, you are a witness. I want to read this little commentary from, from the Bible Knowledge Commentary on this passage. It says this. Since Christ's disciples, first of all, the inner circle, but to a certain extent also the wider circle of believers, have seen the works of the Lord, have heard his words, have experienced in their hearts the meaning and value of the good news, they should bear the testimony concerning it. They are and must be Christ's witnesses. 
So here what Jesus is saying in verse 48, and you are witnesses of these things, he is not speaking just to the guys in front of him, but also to us today, that you and I are witnesses of these things. And you say, what are these things? And, and if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and watch the live stream of, of Pastor Andrew going through the entire Bible of how Jesus shows up. And I, I wrote down just a few highlights of, of what these things are in the Gospel of Luke. You are witnesses of how God came to be with us. You are witnesses of when Jesus shows his power over Satan and sin, how he shows his power over unclean spirits and sickness and disease, how Christ heals the sick, he brings sight to the blind, power to the lame, life to the dead. You are witnesses of how Christ provides for the needy, how Christ cares for the spiritual needs of humanity, how Christ teaches freedom instead of religiosity and legalistic bondage, how Christ teaches love is not merely for friends but for enemies. How Christ teaches over and over and over the necessity of faith for salvation. How Christ teaches that we cannot outsin his grace. How Christ shows his power over the wind and the waves, but most importantly that Christ shows he is the Messiah, the God-man, the one who on the cross took the judgment for you and I. That we may be reconciled to God through repentance and faith. That we would place our faith in the words that Christ says on the cross, it is finished. This is what you are a witness of. And I want to ask this question, if, if you and I aren't going to be the witnesses of these things, who is? Who's going to do it? If the church is not going to be a witness of the things of Christ, who's going to do it? It's not going to be the government. It's not going to be your political party. It's not going to be the public school system. It's us. We are the ones who are called to be witnesses of these things. Point number two, Christ gives us the promise. He gives us the promise. And in verse 49, he says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. And, 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 and this is, the promise is prophesied all throughout the Bible. And you see it in Isaiah 32. You see it in, in Joel 2. This, this, this call for a promise is coming. The Spirit is coming to empower you to do these things. And, and you see when you get to Acts chapter 2 that this promise comes. That the Spirit falls onto the apostles, falls into the church and, and, and really what happens throughout the entire book of Acts is the church explodes. I mean, there are Christians everywhere. It's, it's just this, this church that started so small that right here, this, is, this group of people expands for thousands of years to where now we're sitting in this room today, the same church, believing the same gospel. Christ gives us his power. He gives us the promise. He gives us the spirit. And again, I, we're going to come back to this, but, but really what it falls down to is you have everything you need to accomplish this great commission. You and I don't have an excuse. We are given everything we, we, we need. Christ gives us right here, he says, you have the promise. You have the spirit on you. That's what you need for this commission to be, great, to, to be fulfilled. And we're going to come back to this. We're going to go to point three, and, and, and in point four, we're going to pick this back up. That Christ gives us the mission. And this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time. If you read verse 47, we're going to go down to verse 49. He says, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with the power from on high. He says, so Stay here till you're filled with the Spirit, and then go. That is the command. That is where we're spending the majority of our time today is this command that Jesus tells us to go. We are commanded in the, in the last words of Jesus to go do something. 
I, I, I think that's so profound that this is where Jesus says, hey, you're going to go do something. I'm not just going to give you some nice words, but I, I have a mission for you to accomplish. And, I, and, and what I really want to do is I want to break this down into, into three different subpoints. But what I really want us to understand is when Jesus is telling us to go, he's saying that to us, not to paid professionals, not to people who have degrees, not to a few select people. Like, like the goal, the purpose of, of pastors and evangelists and of the apostles was, is, is Ephesians 4, which is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That this, this task isn't just for a select group. This is for all of us. Because you have a specific job, you have a specific community, you have a very specific family, that, that, that you, you are placed there to be faithful, to be a steward of those relationships. Like we, we can't come to your job and to your community and to your family Christmas dinners and your New Year's Eve parties to share the gospel. with. Like That's you. You're to be equipped for that good work. So what I want to do is I want to break this down to three points. I want to talk about reasons we don't go. Reasons why we don't go share the gospel. I want to go to ways that we can share the gospel, and then we're going to conclude with why we must. Reasons that we don't. I think that the number one is, is probably something you're thinking of right now is we are afraid. It's a fearful thing to go and share the gospel with somebody, and, and what I would like to do is just tell you, welcome to the club. I mean, all of, I mean, there, there are a very select group of people that I know that have no problem picking up a megaphone, walking down downtown, downtown Torrington, and shouting the gospel from the mountaintops. That's great. But I don't, I, I'm, I'm terrified of stuff like that. I mean, I'm terrified of, if somebody is sitting next to me on a plane. I, I just have this fear of, of, of man, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to get rejected. I don't know if I'm going to get persecuted. I don't, what, what, if I, what if something goes wrong? What if they ask a question that I don't know? We, we are paralyzed by fear, and what that does is the, the fear paralyzes us into a place where we're just being, we're just being passive onlookers of the obedient, where we're so, we're so paralyzed that we're not doing anything. I mean, we won't share the gospel if somebody comes up to us and asks, what is the gospel? How do I get saved? We're just, I don't know. Like, we get so paralyzed by it. And, and what my encouragement would be to us today is that we would understand that we would have to fear God more than people. That actually, as you read the Bible, that the picture that we see of God is quite terrifying. When you look at passages like Isaiah 6, where, where, where Isaiah comes into the presence of God, and it's just this awful sight, and Isaiah is just amazed at being in the presence of God. Or you can go passage after passage of, of, of men coming into the presence of God, and they are just in absolute awe. And there's this passage in, in Isaiah chapter 51, and it says that, he said, what God is telling these people is, who are you that you should be afraid of man who dies? You're, you're afraid, of a, afraid of people? He says, I'm the one you should fear. You should be afraid of me. I'm, I'm the one that created all these things. I'm the one that spoke these things into existence. You should fear me. And, and Pastor Andrew preached it a while ago in the Gospel of Luke, where he says, you shouldn't be afraid of man who can kill the body. You should be afraid of the, of, of the God who can kill the body and throw the soul into hell. And so my encouragement would be that as we read the Bible, that what we would do is, is have a greater fear of God than a, greater, than, than a fear of man. That we would look at this God that we, we see in the Old Testament, we see in the New Testament. That we'd be in awe of who he is. And that our fear of him would actually drive us into a place of obedience. 
and not into a place of passivity. Point two, why do we not? Reasons we don't. We think that God is passive. And I think that might sound weird, but, but again, this comes into a place where we think that, you know, this, this, this responsibility falls onto pastors and to people that work in the church and people who are really called. Like, you're called in this passage. It's not for a select few who are called to be, to be working in a church. It's, it's, it's a, everybody in this room is called right here in this passage that you and I would go. And I think that sometimes what I mean by, by when we think God is passive, I think what happens is we often are praying for God to do something that he's waiting for us to do. That we're asking God, would you bring somebody along to share the gospel with my mom? And he's, I think God is just like, she's your mom. And you're a believer. And you know the gospel. You do it. I think that so often we get so, you know, we're just waiting for God to, to somehow just save our siblings or save, somehow save our coworkers or save the people in our community, save the people that we know. And it's, you know them. I know them. I have unsaved family members. You have unsaved family Maybe we're supposed to do something. Maybe you and I are supposed to be these people that, that are bold enough to share the gospel. Because God loves to use faithful, obedient people. He loves it. And I, I've shared this story so many times, and I, I wasn't planning on sharing it, but I will. Um, my dad went to, to college in South Carolina, and, and he, he kind of got enrolled really late. And so when he got to school, they didn't have any room for him in the dorms. And so uh, he actually had to stay in a hotel. And one night, my dad goes downstairs to get something from the vending machine, and the front desk clerk shares the gospel with my dad. And that happened several times. And uh, my dad never, he didn't, he, you know, he didn't get saved during that time. And, and, and about 10 years later, my dad cannot shake the gospel that he's heard from this man. Ends up giving his life to Christ. And as a result, my mom then gives her life to Christ. And as a result, my brother and my sister and me and cousins and aunts and uncles. And that man that shared the gospel with my dad never knew. And I think that sometimes, like, we, we share the gospel one time and they don't get saved right away. So we, we just back off and we never do it again. And man... We have no idea how God uses our obedience. We have no clue the chain reaction that God creates with our simple steps of, I'm going to be bold, I'm going to do it, I'm going to follow the Spirit's leading, I'm going to share the gospel with this person. You know, who cares if they don't get saved right then? Like, the gospel continues to be preached. You don't know what's going, in the, uh, going on in the mind of other people. You don't know how many people have shared the gospel with that person, and it's bugging them that you and I would understand that God loves to use us. Reason why we don't, number three, I think this will probably be the most popular, is we don't know enough. We're not equipped enough. We don't, we don't have enough knowledge. We didn't get a Bible degree. And I kind of want to, in the most loving and, and gentle way, I kind of want to squish that excuse. That is not a valid excuse. And I'm going to show you. And, and, and there's this verse in your outline. It's, it's Mark 5. And I, I just want to give you a little context of this passage. In, in Mark 5, Jesus and his disciples are, are just now getting off the boat. And, and, and there's this maniac, there's this, it's his name, they call him the maniac of Gadara. And he's demon-possessed, he's, he's living in a cemetery, he is cutting himself with stones, he's just a mess. They're, they try to tie him up with chains and he breaks them. I mean, this guy is, is, is the worst that you can kind of think. I mean, this guy walks by you, you're hiding your kids from this guy. Like, do not go near him. And what happens is Jesus gets off this boat and this guy comes running towards him. 
And, and to make a long story short, Jesus casts the demons out of this man. The, the demons go into this herd of pigs. They, the pigs go and jump off a cliff, and this, this, these people go and tell the entire town. They say, this is what just happened. Jesus just casted these demons out of this guy, and then they went and you know, all the animals, and they just died. It was a mess. And right here in this section is where we pick up where Jesus is now leaving. The people come to him, and they say, Jesus, leave. We don't, we don't want you. And so verse 18 of Mark chapter 5. And when he has come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home. Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. It's kind of weird. It's kind of a weird passage that, that this guy that was just demon-possessed, that was cutting himself with stones, that, that had a house in the cemetery. Like, this is where this guy lived. This is what this guy knew. He just gets saved. He just, he's, this guy isn't just a new believer. Like, this guy is a new believer plus just had demons cast out of him. And he goes up to Jesus and says, hey, I want to come with you. And Jesus says no. Like, why on the world is Jesus saying no to this guy? He's, 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 he's a believer. He wants to be a disciple. He wants to learn. He wants to follow Jesus. Like, discipleship is a really big thing. And Jesus says no. You see, because when Jesus is rejected, he sends somebody. See, because this, this town had come and said, Jesus, we don't want you. And so Jesus says, all right, I'll leave, but I'm going to send this guy. And, and the application here is when Jesus is hanging on the cross, that's not a great sign of acceptance. That is the greatest sign of rejection. We don't want this Jesus. Crucify him. And Jesus goes to the cross, but what does he do? He sends us to be witnesses. Witnesses are those who have a testimony of the truth. And so what I want to do with this is, this guy, brand new believer, knows nothing. I want to I squash that excuse if I don't know enough, because this guy is told to go. He's told to go share the gospel. He's told to go tell the good news. And I just want to remind us, he has no Bible college, no seminary, no discipleship. He doesn't know how to pray. He doesn't know how to read the Bible. He doesn't know how to plant a church. He doesn't know how to shepherd people. He isn't given a position or title of authority. He isn't given financial assistance. He doesn't get to physically follow and learn from Jesus. All he has is an encounter with Jesus and a story of mercy. That's it. No degree. No, no, no seminar that he went to on 10 steps how to evangelize. All this guy has is, I just encountered the grace and mercy of Jesus. And Jesus sends him, yeah, go. Go tell. Go tell what I've done for you. Go tell all these people. The excuse I don't know enough is not going to stand before God. It's not going to be a valid excuse before God. We can't. It's, and, and there's that verse in 2 Corinthians 5 where it says, we're all going to stand before him one day. We're all going to give an answer for the things that we've done, the things that we've said, the, the way that we've stewarded our time and how we've stewarded our relationships. I, I, I got to keep moving on. We have no excuse. But I will say one more thing. I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we, we see a command that generally we don't like. And what we pretend is that there's some sort of asterisk next to that end of the verse. That maybe it says, yeah, go be witnesses of these things, but oh, there's a little asterisk, so I swap to the back of my Bible and it says, unless you blank. There's no asterisk in the Bible. 
There's no, it doesn't give you a, a way out. You are to be witnesses of these things. You and I, no excuse. I want to hop down to our next subpoint: is ways we can, ways that we can share the gospel. And again, we, we need to remind ourselves that this is a mission for us, not for a select few groups of people. God has given you a family, you a community, you a neighborhood, you a job, for us to be faithful in those areas, for you to be faithful in those areas. And so when I was creating this point, when I was writing Ways We Can, what I started to do is write 10 points on how you and I can share the gospel, and I deleted it. So I'm not going to give you 10 points on how to do it. I'm really just going to give you a command from God, and it's to be good stewards. That's, that's what it is. It's not maybe if I have more knowledge and more skills on how to do it, then I can be faithful. No, it's be faithful now. I'll just be honest. The greatest way you can learn how to share the gospel is go share the gospel. It's to figure it out. It's to go, go try. And, and there's nothing wrong with these, these things that I list. There's nothing wrong with college, and there's, there's nothing wrong with reading a book on how to evangelize. But, but we can have all the knowledge and none of the obedience. Like we eventually have to go and do it. But I will say this, that sharing the gospel, it doesn't need to be awkward. I mean, I think that sometimes we're, we're, we're in a public place, we're in Dunkin', we're in Starbucks, and we're just like, how do I share the gospel with all these people? And it's like, it, it doesn't need, you don't need to awkwardly go up to somebody. Like, man, just be a good steward of, the, of, of your neighbors. Have somebody over for dinner. Build relationships. Like, man, I, I, we just got new neighbors in, the, in the, the, the floor below us at our apartment. And I'm not going and knocking on those doors and saying, hey, do you know what's going to happen when you die? Like, I'm, I'm not doing that. And I think for some reason we think that is the best way to do it. Like, man, I just want to love these people. I just want to love them well. I want to, I want to get to know them. I want to hear their story. I want to hear where they're coming from. I want them to know who I am. But most importantly, I want to use this relationship that they would understand the grace of God. I want to steward that relationship. I think that sometimes we, we will kind of back away from sharing the gospel because it's just too awkward, and it doesn't need to be. Like, it's Christmas, uh, it's not Christmas Eve, it's New Year's Eve. Most likely tonight, the majority of people are going to be somewhere with family, with coworkers, with your neighbors, whatever it is. You're going to be in the presence of people that don't know Jesus, and that you and I would be good stewards of those relationships, and that we would, we would, Use them for the sake of the gospel. Have someone over for dinner. Take advantage of seats on a plane. They can't move, if you didn't know that. <laughs> like, if the, if the plane's full, they're stuck. And, and I, don't, I generally don't, you know, I don't try to be too aggressive. But, like, if, if they want to talk, talk. I, I get it. Like, we live in a digital era. But, man, like, don't lose inter, interaction with people. Don't lose, man, I, what's your name? How crazy it is to ask that today. Like, what are you doing? Why are you flying? Like, take advantage of those things. Take advantage of when, when the Spirit is just leading you and guiding you to reach out to somebody. Do it. That this is how, these are ways that we can do it. It's just by being faithful. It's not by getting a degree. It's not by getting, going to a seminar to learn 30 steps. It's just being faithful. Reasons that we must. The last point. Christ's command from authority. We'll read verse 50 to 53 on, on the outline. It says, And he led them out as far as, Beth, as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. 
And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Amen. Why do we need to do this? Really simply because Jesus said so. But what we have here is, is, is something great, is, is not only do we get the great commission, but we also get the ascension, where Jesus here is, is brought into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God today. And Christ is king. And so, so you and I, we don't go to, let's say, Chipotle and start telling them these are the new menu orders you're going to have. These are the new menu items. I would love to do that because I have some great ideas for Chipotle. But we don't do that. Why? Because we don't own it. But Jesus here tells us the command to go, go through, go through the world sharing this message. And he has the authority to do that because he owns it all. All power over heaven and earth is given to Jesus. And so because of that, he has the authority to tell us, go share the gospel. Go make disciples. Go baptize. And, 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 and like you, you look at passage after passage, you look at Colossians 1 where it says, he is the head of the body. that By him, all things were brought into existence. He's the head of the body of the church, the firstborn over all creation, that in, in all things he would have preeminence. Why do we have to do this? Because Jesus is king. Jesus is the head of all things, and he commands us to go. There's a book that I recently read. I, I don't know if I would necessarily tell you go read this, but it, it's called The Art of War. And it was written by a, a very old Chinese general, probably about well over a thousand years ago. Uh, and this book was supposed to be passed down from, from kind of general to general on, on how to be a good tactic of war. And, and the way that it's written, it's really just sentences kind of all throughout this book. And one of the sentences he writes is this. An army can be robbed of its spirit. And I bring that up because I think that Satan would love for us to think that we have lost. I mean, you look at the world around us, and in, in light of the command of Jesus to go share the gospel for the, the kingdom of God to be built, and you look at the world around us, and it looks like we've lost. It looks like it's really not working that well. It looks like people are leaving churches in the thousands. It looks like people are just leaving. They're, they're denying the faith. They're deconstructing. It looks like we have lost, and that is a tactic of Satan himself, because Christ says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. They think that we can be so beat down because of, the, of just the, the, the problems that we face in culture and society and the church. But the beauty is at the end, we win. The church is built. The kingdom has come. That you and I will accomplish this. The Great Commission will be accomplished. And, and I can tell you that souls are still being saved today. And I can tell you that because you and I are still here. Like the, the reality that you and I are still living and breathing in this room is the reality that Jesus is still saving souls today. That people are still being brought into the kingdom of God. I want to conclude with this. Um, when I was even in college, I wanted to be desperately a Navy SEAL. As you can tell, I have the figure for that. I really did. Like That was the dream. Those guys were just super cool. I was like, I'm going to do it. Uh, I didn't just so you know, uh, I really want to do it. So, but, but what I did, I was just watching all these movies, I was studying, I was reading books, like, how do these guys do it? And one thing is very simple, is that when SEALs are sent on a mission, they go do the mission and that's it. They're not on the way to the mission and like, hey man, let's fly the helicopter over Duncan and grab some, some coffee. They're not saying, hey, let's go do this side mission for fun. Let's go do a couple other things. No, they go do the mission, they accomplish it, they leave. 
They don't get distracted with other things. And my encouragement would be that as we head into 2024, you and I wouldn't be getting distracted with all of these things. Because we live in a world that is just pulling for our attention. It just wants to get us focused on all these other things. That man, man, like, what a great tactic for Satan, for, for the kingdom of God to slow down. It would be for us to get distracted. For the witnesses of God that are called to go share the gospel with the world, for us to get distracted with all these things. That, yeah, I'll focus on building the kingdom later. Right now I need to, I need to figure out some financial stuff. Or I need to make sure I get ahead in my job. So I don't want to share the gospel with my boss because that could, that could, just, it could disrupt my, my, my job. But what a tactic. But the call of Jesus in this passage is that you and I would be witnesses of the things of Christ. So that's my sermon. That's the passage. That's the gospel of Luke. That you and I, as we leave here, we would have the gospel message that Christ came to save sinners. That Christ Jesus comes into the world not to give us uh, uh, not, not to die on the cross so then we could try and read our Bibles harder, so we could pray more, that we could pray, pray longer or tithe more. The Christ came so that he would be the sacrifice and his grace would be sufficient for our salvation alone. There's nothing more to do. There's nothing more to gain. There's nothing else to get. Christ on the cross says it's finished. And my prayer, my encouragement would be that as we head into the new year, you and I would bear that message that we would bear the message of the gospel, that you and I, when we stand before God one day, we will say, yes, in all of your grace and by your spirit's power, I did my best to be a great witness for you, that I would be a testimony of your grace, a testimony of your mercy, that the gospel would be heard by me, and no matter what the cost, that in all things that I did, I tried to glorify Christ, and I do that best by obeying him. That would be our encouragement for you. That's the command of Jesus. Why do we do these? Because Jesus is king over all creation. And he's told us to do these things. Let's close in a word of prayer.